welcome to the Logos Podcast, where world history meets the Word of God. Visit us online at logospodcast.com. And now, here's your host, Andy Anastasopoulos. Hello, Christian Radio World. Welcome to Logos, Art of God and Mind of Christ. I just wanted to go ahead and welcome everybody and say happy Father's Day today. I hope you spent a lot of great time with uh, you know your father and all the fathers in the world. Happy Father's Day. So this week, I want to go ahead and wrap up part three of Hellenism in the Jewish world. But first, as always, I want to start with our disclaimer. So we are all on the same page, understand how the research is going to go for this show. Here at the History of With God Ministries, we use the King James or the New International Version of the Bible, as we believe these are the true words of God. However, there will be times where we will need to consult outside sources that are directly related to the Bible and history as a whole. A prime example of this is the Roman Tacitus, who records the existence of Christ from the Roman and outside canonical sources. You will also hear sources from the Catholic and Greek Orthodox Bibles to paint a larger picture of the Christian and biblical world. Christ our Lord has said, the people perish for lack of knowledge. It is my hope that through the historical record we can solidify and better understand our faith. And that's the basis of the show. Me being a history buff that I am, I kind of want to inject history into our biblical world and Christianity. So here we are. So let's continue. So last time we spoke, we talked about how the Hellenistic and Greek world did not sit well with the Jewish world, so much so that they would ridicule them in the sporting events, they would take over and desecrate their temples, and this eventually led to a breaking point. And in this case, the breaking point was a rebellion. So, what was the start of the rebellion? It was started in a small village town known as Modin, located in northwest Jerusalem. The man's name was Matthias, and his five sons are the leader of the rebellion. So Matthias and his sons are leader of the rebellion. And what they do is they kill an apostate. Now, an apostate is someone who renounces their religion. And with that apostate was a Syrian official as they were going to the altar for sacrifice. Okay? So this totally, you know, blows Matthias' mind. And, you know, this one act leads to war. Okay? So according to Jewish law, you can't be an apostate or have a foreigner in the temple. So this blows his mind. Him and his uh, sons kill this guy, and that was actually the start of the war. And then, like I said, they were going there to sacrifice, and they got taken out. After this happening, they fled into the Judean wilderness, hills and caves where they might survive the Syrian Seleucid forces. They also had regis- Jewish resistance forces that also occupied the urban centers on the, on the coastal plain. Okay, the scene was set for guerrilla warfare. So. After they kill the, the, the apostate and the Syrian official, the, the part of them flee into the mountains, and the other ones are occupying these, these areas, building around guerrilla warfare. Many rebellious Jews fled to the wilderness and were pursued and attacked on the Sabbath. The Jews allowed themselves to be killed as they were staunch leaders of the Sabbath. Okay, This was such a massive issue that the priest class reexamined the law and allowed them to defend themselves on the Sabbath. So the the war, the rebellion's going on around their sacred holiday. During that day, it's very sacred to the Jews. They they really don't do do too much in terms of how to be connected to their faith. But there was such a massive killing on on the scale on the scale that 
they were directed by the priesthood to defend themselves. Now, in 166 BC, Matthias died, and his son, known as Judas Maccabeus, took over the leadership of the revolt. Now, Judas Maccabeus is a very, very important name, as you will see moving forward. He invoked outstanding leadership, and his name may translate into the hammer. So Judas Maccabeus probably means the hammer. Now, for six years, Judas Maccabeus gave the Seleucids a brutal fight. Initially, the Seleucids were preoccupied with the other two world powers, Rome and Parthia. So, what does that mean in the grander scheme of things? At the time, the Hellenistic Greek world is occupying Israel. Now, even though they are the occupiers, they still have to worry about two other superpowers that may or may not take them out, Rome and Parthia. Rome in the west and Parthia in the east. The Parthians were more modern-day Persians, and the Romans, you know, the Romans. And there were a lot of things going on, so much so that the Greeks felt they could have been taken out. They could, there could have been a threat. But they had to also fight them, fight them as well. So fighting two wars doesn't give you that much room to take care of other situations, such as Judas Maccabeus and his revolt. And this would be the, the advantage to Judas Maccabeus. So the Greeks preoccupied. They did what they could, but they started losing ground little and little, as we're going to find out. Judas Maccabeus attacks at night with guerrilla tactics, driving out the Syrians, punishing apostates and traitors, and destroying pagan altars. His military successes gained support, and his rebels developed a small army. So over time, the people are seeing that this is a viable revolt, and they get, they're getting support, and they're giving it to Judas Maccabeus. Apollonius was a Syrian governor in Samaria, which is, you know, like, in layman's term, the next town over. He attacked Judas, but was defeated and killed. It is said that Judas took his sword afterward. Now, that might seem like a little minor point, but when you study history and cultures, whatever, there's always this this um, need to take something smaller, something bigger. Take a throne, take an empire. But in this case, the sword may not be that big of a deal. But again, it's throughout history. I'm reminded of the Iliad and the Odyssey, although I'm sure different degrees, but this reminds me of the Iliad and the Odyssey, more the Iliad, because... You know, that has some scary, at least for me, there are some scary parts in, in that story. For example, when you read the Iliad, there's a specific reason why they go and they take the dead bodies. They retrieve their own dead bodies. Now, what do I mean by that? If you read the funeral for Patroclus, Patroclus was, was the close friend of Achilles who was killed, okay? But they take his body, they do the ceremony, whatever they need to do for the body, and they do these games and celebrations, all that kind of stuff for the body. And this is all over so many different cultures, as it is. But in the Iliad, what ended up happening was the bodies could have been desecrated and ripped apart by the enemy. The armor could have been taken away and either stolen, and the bodies are torn away, and the armor is kept. And on top of all that, the armor is very, very sacred, at least the Greek culture. I mean, look at the 300 Spartans with Leonidas. What did his wife say? with the shield or dead on the shield because the shield was a, was an heirloom. So, you know, and even Achilles' shield is tied into the culture of the Greeks or whatever. So my point is that there's this level of, you know, taking from your enemy to show dominance. And in this case, Maccabeus took Apollonius' sword. And I wonder, I wonder if that's even, if I can go even further on that. I don't know, this, this, it's a hard thing to find. I'm going to do some research and figure out what was what was the sword. Was it great? Was it special? Or was it just something he took? But remember, in ancient history, it's always coveting. 
I'm going to take, I'm going to conquer, I'm going to destroy. And although a sword might be a minor point, it's pretty interesting. So his victory, Judas Maccabeus, also brought money and recruits to the rebellion, becoming quite bigger. This forced another local governor known as Saran, the government of Syria, to move against Judas with many Jewish traders. So little by little, the Hellenistic Greeks are losing ground. Little by little, they're getting defeated. Successful campaigns for Judas were at Beth Horon and Mitzpah. So, so two major battles, Judas Maccabeus won. When Antichius heard of the defeat forces, now you guys know who Antichius is. Last week we spoke about him. He's the, the head ruler of the Seleucid dynasty, which is the occupiers of the, of, of the Jews. So he heard of the defeat of his forces. He diverted half of his forces from a planned campaign against Parthia. And he sent 40,000 infantry and 7,000 cavalry. And they went in to try to stop Judas Maccabeus. Now, again, going back to the whole, you know, there's a Parthian and Roman issue we have to take into account. That's a whole other chapter of history that if you check me out at History by Fire from Spartan Studios, these are the kind of issues that get, I get into on that end. Now, um, traders, funny side note, traders, as in people who trade, joined the encampment with the Hellenistic Greeks in an effort to buy Jews as slaves. So think about that for a minute. Despite of all the, whatever the stuff they're going through as it is, the Jewish people, despite all that, and we know slavery runs rampant in the, in the ancient world, you actually have traders who will sit there and say, yeah, any war, any war slaves you have, we're going to sell them. That's insane to me. Thank God that he sent uh, his only son to die on the cross and to show us about morality. I mean, could you imagine living in the world right now? Could you imagine where, you know, forget it. I don't I mean, I, I, I mentioned this last week. I mean, like, it just blows my mind how, thank God, we are not living in another Roman raw, law, Roman rule. These things happened. If we lose our Christianity, which I'm going to tackle on the subject very shortly, and you'll see what I mean, these things can and will happen again. It's insane stuff. So what happens? So basically that those 40,000 men and 7,000 cavalry are ransacked because Judas attacks them at Emmaus, the town the Seleucids were encamped at, and he made them flee as he pillaged their left-behind belongings. So this guy, Judas Maccabeus, the hammer, is just smashing into these, these, these groups one after the other. Year after year, Judas M gained a lot of ground, and he was winning the war. So as... This was happening. Jerusalem, Jerusalem was opening up. It was getting slower and slower, slipping in the, Greek, the grip of the Greeks. He was able to cleanse every temple he took from the occupiers. He found priests to purify and rededicate the temple in 164 BC. Now, why is this important? Because the anniversary of the temple cleansing is known as the Feast of Hanukkah, celebrated every year where cele- celebratory candles are lit. So now you guys know, come Christmas time, even though we're Christians, you kind of have an idea now as to why the Jews celebrate Hanukkah. You know, my gift to you as a historian. Maybe that might happen later on this year. Maybe you'll you'll be with your family, whatever, and then maybe some sort of image of Hanukkah might come in your, into your head. You might be like, you know what? I remember this podcast historian. I think his name is Spartan. He was talking about this. Oh, so that's why we celebrate Hanukkah. Not us. They. You know, a little something, my gift to you. Anyway, my friends, thank you so much for uh, tuning into Logos. 
please stay tuned. Uh, I have a new subject matter coming to you next week. I'm really excited about it. I look forward to teaching and growing with you. I got a lot of stuff. I've been hitting the books like crazy. I've got so much material for you. It is even funny. And I'm just biting at the bit to bring it to you. So for those out there who are still celebrating Father's Day, happy Father's Day. And I will catch you next week. Summer's here. Let's get it. Visit us online at logospodcast.com. 